Hey everyone, welcome to this week's conversation with Dr. Stephen Ned about the body and how to fix, protect, or maintain it using outside-the-box alternative solutions. If you're a big fan of the pharmaceutical or surgical approach, you are so in the wrong place because on this podcast, we're not going to be pushing the conventional medicine methods or way of thinking about health. If you're looking for another way to live longer and healthier, join me, Ron Ned, and my brother, Dr. Stephen Ned, for this week's body chat about dirty air and your lungs. Me? I'm a retired Twin Cities chiropractor currently helping people buy and sell homes in the Tampa Bay and Los Angeles areas. My brother has a thriving chiropractic practice in the Clearwater area of Tampa Bay, Florida. In this podcast, we're going to chat about all sorts of topics related to health, nutrition, exercise, just about everything having to do with the body. You're invited to listen in to our body chat, but don't forget that neither of us is giving you health advice, so don't rush off to do something without either checking with your doctor first or seeing Dr. Stevenet as a patient at his office. Good evening, Steve. Good evening, Ron. Well, tonight... We're going to be talking about something, like I said before, that's more applicable in my area for the most part than it is in yours. And that has to do with things like when there's fires around and the air is filled with smoke. So when you have situations like that, what kind of filtration apparatuses does the body have to prevent these particles from getting into the lungs? All right, well, let's do a little anatomy lesson of the respiratory system to start off since the lungs are just one of many parts of it. Okay. Now, you know, if you've got your nose and your nasal cavity, which is where air and particles uh, can enter the body and eventually end up in the lungs. Uh, some people are actually primarily mouth breathers. So the mouth can be more dominant than the nose and nasal cavity for allowing air and particles to be absorbed. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, of course, we have the sinuses, throat, the windpipe, which is called the trachea, the diaphragm muscle. And finally, the lungs, which include the large air channels called the bronchial tubes or bronchi, smaller air channels called the bronchioles, air sacs called alveoli, and capillaries. So really, the filtration system starts in the nose where hairs are able to filter out large particles. If small particles get through, then the body can handle them with the help of tiny hairs called cilia, which are found along your air passages. And they actually move in a sweeping motion to keep the passages clean. In addition, the cells in your trachea and bronchial tubes make mucus, not only to keep the air passages moist, but also to help keep particles like dust and other allergens at bay, as well as microorganisms like bacteria and viruses uh, out of your lungs. When particles reach deeper into your lungs, then mucus can help you, know, you bring them up by you know, eliminating them by coughing or swallowing them. All right. Now, when there is smoke and ash in the air, do they tend to affect the lungs more or the sinuses more? You know, I looked and I wasn't able to find out definitively which one is affected more. Okay. Um, You know, something that is actually really important sort of along these lines is according to the Centers for Disease Control or the CDC, wildfire smoke in the air can pose a risk for anyone. And the most at risk include the elderly, pregnant women, and people with chronic respiratory and heart conditions. And it's also important to note that children are also at a higher risk since they breathe more air per pound of body weight than adults, and wildfire smoke can irritate their still-developing lungs. So 
So I just wanted to add that in so that people out there know which people are truly at risk the most. Okay. Yeah. And when you've got wildfires nearby, I can tell you, you can have a lot of smoke and a lot of soot in the air. When we had the ones going on here and they were, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes away from where we live, I'd go out in the morning sometime and there'd be ash all over my car. It wasn't like, you know, thick, like snow type ash, but there was a thin layer spread out over the car. So that's, you know, and there was one point I was talking to our neighbor across the street and I'm standing out there and it was coming down almost like little snow flurries. Wow. It was very wild. Amazing. Now, what kind of effects do these particulate matter in the air have on sinuses? Well, you know, it can really irritate them due to the fact that it can cause inflammation from the various particles uh, contained in the smoke and ash. And that can lead to swelling, congestion, runny nose, uh, sinus headaches, and even potentially a sinus infection. Okay. Now let's move from the sinuses to the lungs. What are the short-term effects that are possible when you've got smoke and soot in the air and are affecting the lungs? Well, you know, breathing in smoke can affect you right away, causing short-term problems. And things like uh, coughing, uh, trouble breathing, wheezing, asthma attacks, stinging eyes, scratchy throat, runny nose, irritated sinuses that we just went over, uh, headaches, tiredness, chest pain, and fast heartbeat are a list of things that can occur right away after exposure to smoke. All right. Now, let's say it's a longer-term situation. What are the longer-term effects that can possibly come about because of that? Well, unfortunately, there aren't really any studies that have looked at the long-term effects of exposure to smoke. There are studies looking at long-term exposure to smoke, okay. uh, especially in children, which means you know, months instead of days. And this can lead to new allergies or chronic asthma. Uh, but the medical and environmental community actually admits that they also need to study the long-term effects on health uh, from acute or short-term exposure to smoke. So that's something that'll probably come out in you know next few years, hopefully, because they, they're very aware of that and they want to check it out. Now, what they do know is that for most healthy adults, there likely are no long-term effects since many of the health impacts of smoke inhalation, even in severe cases, are temporary. Uh, it's comparable to recovering from a severe bout of pneumonia. You know, there's different factors that can affect the severity of exposure, including how close to the source an individual is and what particles are in the smoke, since not only can they contain wood, but also potentially toxins, including metals, chemicals, and even asbestos. Uh, you know, for people that continue to experience wheezing, cough, or shortness of breath after exposure, they should definitely see a healthcare provider. Uh, one of the more common long-term effects of smoke inhalation is scarring of the lungs, and this can cause people to have shortness of breath for the rest of their lives. Long-term effects of smoke in inhalation could also result in chronic diseases, again, due to the fact that it can cause systemic inflammation, and you know, which we've learned in the past is the underlying cause of many chronic diseases and nine of the top 10 causes of death. And one more very important thing that I would like to point out is that for both short-term and long-term regarding smoke exposure, the greatest risk factor with inhaling smoky air isn't respiratory problems. It's instead cardiovascular. Interesting. Yeah. 
And this risk is threefold. So I thought I'd go over those. Okay. So first of all, inflammation in the lungs can become systemic, affecting the whole body's vascular function. Secondly, the risk for blood clots increases, which can lead to a heart attack or a stroke. And finally, the autonomic nervous system is stimulated, and that can lead to heart arrhythmias. You know, there's also some good evidence that these effects can accelerate atherosclerosis, which again, you know, are the plaques that build up inside your blood vessels. All right. Well, that's interesting because most of the time I was thinking it was just going to be things having to do with the lungs and the sinuses. But that's another thing that people have to keep in mind is that this can affect your heart, which is going to affect your lifespan. So what can people do to prevent these types of effects from occurring if they're in an area where this is going on? I mean, we had areas in California where we had fires going on for quite a while with a lot of smoke. I mean, right where I live, it was at least for several weeks. You know, I've actually got some common sense data from the CDC, and it's actually quite recent because of not only the wildfires that have occurred this year in California, but also in Colorado. Mm. You know, because of the pandemic, they issued new guidelines to not only help prevention and reduction, but also to help distinguish between the symptoms from smoke exposure and COVID-19. So, you know, people living in areas affected by wildfires during the pandemic, the CDC states, and I'm you know, quoting from them directly, uh, you know, the best way to protect against the potentially harmful effects of wildfire smoke is to reduce your exposure to wildfire smoke, for example, by seeking cleaner air shelters and cleaner air spaces. And you should definitely pay attention to public health messages and call your doctor if you have any additional questions. I know you did that as far as, you know, doing your exercise. You right. told me about that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, along those lines, limit your outdoor exercise when it is smoky outside or choose lower intensity activities to reduce your smoke exposure since during more intense exercise, you can breathe up to 10 or 20 times more air than when resting. And, you know, this higher breathing rate obviously can bring more smoke deep into the lungs. In addition, you should focus on breathing through your nose because breathing through your mouth bypasses the natural air filter of your nose which further increases your exposure to the smoke. And obviously wearing masks has become the norm during the pandemic and wearing an N95 mask is also recommended, especially when you're outdoors, when there's heavy smoke. Uh, by the way, for those of you who don't already know this, the 95 designation on the N95 mask classification means that it's able to filter out 95% of airborne particles and that can include smoke. Okay. There's also some good pointers on keeping your indoor air pollution down when the outdoor is bad, and that is you should avoid burning candles and smoking, and don't use the vacuum cleaner during this time since vacuuming stirs up particles that are already in the home that you might have brought in with you. Right. Now, as far as knowing the difference between symptoms from smoke exposure and COVID-19, the CDC states that some symptoms like a dry cough, Sore throat and difficulty breathing can be caused by both wildfire smoke exposure and COVID-19. Mm -hmm. But they, they say that, you know, you should learn about symptoms of COVID-19 and symptoms like, you know, fever or chills, muscle or body aches and diarrhea are not related to smoke exposure. I mean, that's right. just, the, you know, the short list right there. There's, you know, loss of taste and smell and many other things. 
Correct. So, so, you know, you know, if you have any of these symptoms, uh, the CDC COVID-19 self-checker can help you determine whether you need further assessment or testing for COVID-19. And if you have any questions after using the CDC COVID-19 self-checker, you should contact a healthcare provider. So they have that on their site. It's called the CDC COVID-19 self-checker. So you can Google that if you're interested. And, you know, if you have severe symptoms like difficulty breathing or chest pain, then you should immediately call 911 or the nearest emergency facility. Good points. Now, if somebody has had some smoke inhalation from one of these fires or from something else, and they do have some of the effects that you had been talking about, what can be done to heal the body after you have some of these things that are affecting it? Well, of course, that depends on how acute the situation is. And, you know, some of the more serious issues that would require medical care include um, uh, if a person is having a hard time breathing, the most important part of smoke inhalation treatment is receiving oxygen. And this can be done with a mask, with a nose tube called a nasal cannula, or with a ventilator, which is breathing, you know, through a tube that's inserted into your throat. Sometimes people are exposed to carbon monoxide And this can be very toxic and potentially deadly. So the best treatment for this is a hyperbaric oxygen compression chamber, which delivers high doses of oxygen. Obviously, if someone is having asthma issues and has a real hard time breathing, then bronchodilators would be needed. Uh, If they've developed a sinus or lung infection, then antibiotics are normally given for that. And if they've experienced chemical poisoning, then various medications may be needed to neutralize these. Now, since inflammation is one of the primary problems with smoke inhalation, anti-inflammatory medication may be administered. It would also be wise to follow an anti-inflammatory diet such as the plant paradox and take anti-inflammatory supplements such as fish oil, uh, turmeric or curcumin, enzymes including bromelain on an empty stomach, and whole leaf aloe juice. Whole leaf aloe juice, when you drink that, I mean, you think it's good for your skin, but when you drink it, it it goes to all parts of the body to reduce inflammation and cool things off. So that does include the respiratory system. Now, cold laser therapy to areas where the inflammation is can also be very helpful, of course. And getting chiropractic adjustments is also beneficial to open up the nerve flow to those areas of the body affected, like the sinuses, uh, which are controlled by the second vertebra from the top of the neck and the lungs, which are controlled by the third thoracic vertebra in the upper back. Now, sitting in an infrared sauna like the one I have in my office is also excellent for detoxing the body from chemicals that you may have inhaled or absorbed from smoke and ash. Uh, You can also irrigate your sinuses with saline using a bulb syringe or a neti pot. Uh, Another neat natural remedy to help clear your sinuses is what's called steam inhalation, where you add a few drops of an essential oil such as thyme or eucalyptus to nearly boiling water in a bowl. And then you put a towel over your head and you breathe it in deeply. Also, it's really important to make sure you get enough rest and quality sleep since that's when a great deal of healing occurs. And you also might want to sleep in a reclined position or prop your head up with pillows since that can also help you breathe easier. Mm -hmm. And finally, you know, really you should avoid things that may irritate your lungs, such as extremely cold, hot, humid, or dry air, as well as smoking or secondhand smoke. Okay. Now, we've talked about lungs and sinuses and the respiratory system, but one of the other areas that can be affected when you have a lot of smoke in the air is the eyes. So what are the kind of effects that you might see if you're in an area like I'm in? 
Yeah, you know, smoke in the air actually can cause four main issues with the eyes. First one is just, you know, eye irritation in the form of stinging, burning, redness, and tearing. And that basically occurs when smoke particles act like tiny foreign bodies in our eyes. Kind of like when you get an eyelash or something. Mm-hmm. You know, this can be relieved by reducing smoke in your immediate environment and by applying artificial tears, you know, preferably preservative-free. Instead of doing things like eye washes or rinsing your eyes with tap water, because both of these can actually alter the chemical makeup of your tears. And you need, you know, them to stay balanced to relieve irritation. So you don't want to do that, even though that's been recommended by quite a few people. Uh, another thing, another effect on the eyes is allergic reactions uh, that can occur from small particles in the smoke. And this can be helped with anti-allergy drops and applying ice water on a washcloth to closed eyelids. Um, that's beneficial since this can stabilize cells that release the chemicals like histamines that are causing your allergy symptoms. The third thing is dry eyes, and that can also be relieved by artificial tears and, in severe cases, prescription medications. And then finally, it can even cause reduced vision, which is almost always temporary, but if it persists, then you should definitely see your eye doctor. Definitely. All right, so now we've talked about the eyes, and we've talked a lot about the smoke in the air from fires. Now let's talk about another air irritant, which is pollen. And there are certain times of the year, I know I used to have this a lot more in the past, where I would have an allergic reaction because of ragweed drops. And there are just certain times when there's a lot of pollen in the air. There's seasonal allergies that are caused by these, but there are certain times where you can, I mean, there are certain, I don't know what it is, but it's yellow pollen. And I can go out sometimes on my black car and I'll see a coating of yellow. It's like, now I know that that's being dropped. So what are the, the effects from pollen? Is it just the lungs or is it also the sinuses or is it vice versa? What is most commonly seen? Well, I mean, it's both. Uh, you know, obviously your sinuses is usually what you see, but it can also affect the lungs even though pollen particles are too large to reach the lungs. Yeah. But coming up, I'll explain how and why that occurs. All right. So let's get into that. So what are the effects that pollen can cause in the lungs and the sinuses and and also the eyes like we just discussed with the smoke? Okay. Well, yeah, let's just keep it with the lungs to start with. Okay. Within that, the cocktail that pollen grains release when they land in the nose, there are smaller particles coated with allergy stimulating proteins. And these coated protein particles are small enough to inhale deeply into the lungs. They get past the cilia like we talked about in the mucus and so forth. Mm -hmm. So they end up traveling down your airways and meet up with antibodies that are produced in people who have allergy-prone immune systems to protect against them. And this ends up setting up irritation and swelling in lung tissue. It's also a problem with people that have asthma because unlike your nose, the airways of the bronchial tubes contain a smooth muscle lining. And when chemicals like histamines are released in response to pollen proteins... Uh, This causes uh, the smooth muscle cells to contract, which can cause people with asthma to wheeze as the air whistles through these constricted air passages. Now, pollen and other airborne allergens uh, can also cause inflammation of the sinuses called allergic sinusitis or allergic rhinitis. And more specifically with pollen, it's called hay fever or seasonal allergies when it's, you know, more so pollen than other air particulates. So common symptoms associated with this include runny or stuffy nose, 
itching, sneezing, and fatigue. There is another thing because I, I've experienced this lately and I, I can tell when pollen's dropping because I'll experience this. And I don't have the itchy, I don't have the runny, I don't have the sneezy, I don't have the dopey or any of the other dwarfs. I have, it's just irritated. It feels raw and irritated and dry. So that is another thing that I can say from personal experience can go along with this. Sure. And another thing that's important is to differentiate uh, a sinus infection from uh, sinus allergies because they can have similar symptoms, including a runny or stuffy nose and fatigue. Mm. So if you look at it as far as differentiating, a sinus infection can be caused by a bacteria, virus, or fungus, and it tends to include but not always includes things like greenish nasal discharge, cough, post-nasal drip, tenderness of the face under the eyes or at the bridge of the nose, uh, sinus headache, fever, tooth pain, fatigue, and bad breath. Hmm. Yep. Now let's look at eye problems. And, you know, they're often the most irritating symptom of all the seasonal allergies is the situation that occurs with your eyes because, you know, when pollen contacts the eyes, they can become very painful due to inflammation as well as itchy and watery. And when you put all this together and not only, you know, can it cause a great deal of discomfort, but it can also be a potential problem as far as your vision being obscured. By the way, pollen can also affect your skin due to repeated exposure because of its pro-inflammatory effects. And what you can end up with is skin that develops a yellowish hue that appears dulled and off color. Well, that's really strange. And that's odd because usually if you have yellowish skin, that has something to do with the liver. Yeah, you would think of it being jaundice, but it actually can be from pollen too. Wow. Okay. All right. So now if somebody is affected every year by pollen by specific pollens. Like I said, I used to have it every year with ragweed. And for me, it was like every May and every September. Is there anything they can do to reduce the effects? Yeah. You know, some common sense approaches to avoiding seasonal allergies caused by pollens include, um, you know, just keep keeping your windows shut during that time. You limit your time outdoors, especially when your local weather forecast shows high pollen content. You should consider wearing a dust mask when you're outside, especially on windy days. It'd be smart to have your air conditioner include a, a HEPA filter to cool your home in the summer rather than using ceiling fans. And you should also avoid cigarette smoke, which can aggravate hay fever symptoms. Uh, you know, the typical medical approach to treating seasonal allergies is to take various medications like over-the-counter decongestants and uh, antihistamines, or even stronger prescription medications like steroid nasal sprays. Uh, allergy shots may also be recommended for more severe cases. Uh, some natural remedies, which I found to be helpful, include uh, the bioflavonoid quercetin, which we found out recently is also excellent for getting zinc into the cells to potentially fight SARS-CoV-2, which can cause COVID-19. Right. Probiotics boost the immune system so that it's not so overreactive to allergens. Hmm. Uh, vitamin C, which has some antihistamine properties. Bromelain, again, which is you know, a pineapple enzyme that's not only a great anti-inflammatory remedy, but it's also been found to reduce nasal swelling and thin the mucus. Mm. Some miscellaneous supplements that are also helpful include butterbur, bee pollen, 
apple cider vinegar, and various essential oils like peppermint, eucalyptus, and frankincense. And there's also a couple supplements from Standard Process that can help called Antronex and Allerplex. Mm-hmm. Very true. Yep. And in addition, if you go back to the episode that we did on allergies, which was episode number 39, I talked about NAET or Nambudrapod Allergy Elimination Technique which I've been trained in you know, a modified version of where I can take a substance such as pollen and help desensitize the body to it using acupressure point tapping, spinal tapping, not, not a spinal tap, but tapping the spinal right. points, <laughs> uh, thymus tapping, and cold laser therapy. Yeah, when you mentioned spinal tap, I didn't think of the medical procedure. I was thinking about the rock group. Or the movie, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Although if that was a cure for allergies, that would be just awesome. That would be awesome. Now, is there anything else that's airborne that affects the lungs, sinuses, and eyes like smoke, soot, or pollen that we haven't mentioned so far? Yes, there is. And, you know, there's other airborne allergens besides pollen, and that includes uh, mold spores, animal hair dander, and dust mites. Asbestos, which I, you know, mentioned earlier, you know, exposure to this can cause what's called asbestosis, which is a chronic respiratory disease caused by prolonged exposure to asbestos. And this can eventually lead to the deadly disease called mesothelioma. Right. Toxic fumes containing chemicals are not only found in industrial products, but also common home cleaning products, which we went into detail about in episode number 25, which covered personal care products. So if you recall, we learned that formaldehyde along with ammonia and bleach can also cause or worsen asthma. And we also learned that fragrances, which are collectively considered among the top five allergens in the world and can trigger respiratory allergies, are not only you know, used in cleaning products, but also in air fresheners, personal care products, and other consumer goods like perfumes. Mm-hmm. Cool. So we've covered a lot today having to do with this, which is important because it doesn't just go over what happens in an area like mine when we have a lot of fires, but it affects people in all different climates and all different areas. And with what you just went over now, the personal care products and home cleaning products, that affects almost everybody. So is there anything else about this that we haven't covered that you'd like to say? Yeah. You know, when I came home today, I smelled smoke in the house and I'm like, boy, isn't that ironic? Yeah. (laughs) So what happened was, was I was in a hurry to get to work and I had to make something to eat and get in the shower and go and all that. So I actually uh, boiled a couple natural hot dogs and I remember taking them out of the pot that had the water in them, but I forgot to turn off the burner. Oh no. Yeah. So when I came home, you know, luckily it wasn't eggs because, you know, what can happen with eggs? Yes. But anyway, you know, there, it was just water in there. And when I came home, I smelled some smoke and I, I got in the kitchen and it had this big black tar coating, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in the pot. And, you know, and Dura, our dog was home and it wasn't too bad. There wasn't like thick smoke or anything like that. It, it was like a burnt smell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I do have uh, a smoke alarm system that's connected to my... Um, alarm system. So Mm -hmm. it would actually, you know, it would actually contact the um, fire department and it would also go to my phone if if it would have, you know, gotten to the smoke detectors. But fortunately it didn't. But um, 
I just thought of all days for that to happen. I can't remember. I mean, I think the last time that happened to me might have been when I was in college when I was boiling eggs and they, and they exploded. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I can't remember the last time that happened. And it, it, of all days, today I'm recording a, a podcast on smoke. Uh, it, it, I walked in the house and that's what happened. That is funny timing. I know. I know. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, that segues into what we're going to be talking about next week, which is a surprise episode for you because I just thought of it while we were doing this episode. So we have a holiday coming up. In fact, we have some holidays coming up. There's Thanksgiving and then in December, there's a variety of different holidays depending on what people celebrate. And one of the things that people do during the holidays is they make holiday meals. And the holiday meals, as we've discussed before, are usually very carbohydrate intensive with tons of sugar, a lot of dairy. People overindulge, they feel like crap, they get sick, all this stuff like that. But at the same time, they're really good, like stuffing and things like that. So you can't completely rule them out. And we've talked in the past about things people can do to mitigate the effects of that. So what I want to do next week, and we may have a special guest on that's up to whether she'd like to be on the podcast, is go over some recipes and food dishes for the holidays that are a bit healthier that can be used as substitutes, as well as any of the ones, even if they're not healthy, that you really like to make and kind of give people an idea of what they can do instead of doing sugar-laden sweet potatoes with honey and sauce and you know all that stuff, brown sugar on it that like mom used to make, and the little tiny marshmallows. You know, what are different ways of making holiday meals that aren't going to overstress people's immune systems and pancreas and liver and all that stuff like that? And maybe we'll see, maybe even we can video and you can make some of those, some of the dishes to show people what they look like. Might be kind of fun. Yeah, I thought it'd be kind of a fun episode to do. And then, like I said, you have a special guest that we'd be more than happy to have on with you to show some different recipes that would be good for the holidays that might be healthier. Mm -hmm. So what do you think of that? Yeah, I'll see if, see who I can round up for that. I think I know who you are, are referring to. Yeah, and you've got lots of recipes that maybe you've mentioned, maybe you haven't mentioned that you like to make mm-hmm. that are, some are very healthy, some are healthier than some of the things that we do. It's like, I I know mom's recipe for stuffing for Thanksgiving and Christmas. I know that one pretty well. And uh, you know, I thought it would be kind of fun. The The next week's episode that we'll be recording will actually air on November 18th, which would be the Wednesday a week before Thanksgiving, not the day before Thanksgiving. So that's why I thought that might be fun. That way we can go over this. And if people go, oh, hey, I want to try this out, they still have time to get the food and prepare it and all that. Right. So we're going to have a holiday episode next week. And we want to make sure everybody joins us. Cool. Thanks for joining us this week on the Body Chat Podcast. We both really appreciate your time and your attention. We want to provide you with interesting and informative episodes each week. And if you have a topic you'd like us to cover or any questions you'd like us to answer, 
send an email to us at info at bodychatpodcast.com. That's info at bodychatpodcast.com. To make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, subscribe to the Body Chat Podcast now on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. See you next week. Bye.